Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Amrit Alawalia, speaks with Michael Bastin, who is President at Rockland Community College. We talk to Michael about the evolving role of community colleges and how democratizing workforce development can help drive socioeconomic growth. Let's get into it. Michael, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Illumination. We really do appreciate it. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you today. I'm so excited to be talking to you about workforce development and and the community college because, you know, you and I have have spoken in the past. In fact, we recently recorded an interview uh, talking about the kind of changing role, changing the momentum behind workforce development as a facet, as a central part of the mission of community colleges. And I just want to recount that a little bit as we start today's conversation. To your mind, I mean, what role does workforce development programming play in meeting the mission of the modern community college? Well, the reality is our country is in a state of transition and change. And if we are going to be globally competitive, we've got to be thinking about how our economic destiny aligns with opportunities in the community and educational opportunities that really give our students the best chance to be a part of the overall shift that's happening all around the world. You know, I want our students to have a competitive advantage, and that's what the community colleges offer through the kind of varied programs uh, to get students into uh, thinking about their future. You know, that's a really interesting point, because I feel like, I mean, we're in the era of Netflix's last chance you, right? We are in the era where I, you know, we've seen community colleges across the U.S. drop the word community from their name for, for the branding challenge. So how does that strike you? I mean, when when you think about the work of community colleges, the impact of community colleges compared with the public perception of the college, I mean, I still remember the show Community on, uh, well, whatever channel that was. And as funny as it was, you know, as someone who's, who's pretty intimately familiar with workforce development and higher education, it really strikes me as, you know, we have a bit of a, a PR problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of it is that there aren't enough folks who have used the services of the community college as a step on the ladder to actually claim us as part of their journey. The reality is many of the undergraduates in this country start at a community college. They are able to transfer to four-year institutions or to be able to come into any uh, academic setting, many times having earned credits whether they were high school students that took college credits. Well, many of those credits came from the community college. And so oftentimes, a critical part of a person's journey in the educational realm is all of a sudden forgotten. You know, And so right. I think that that's one area that we have to really focus on, making sure that those who have benefited from getting their start at a community college, actually share that, own that, uh, because it is a very, very important part of the journey of many Americans. Absolutely, 100%. And, you know, one thing that, you know, as we talk about this, this role of, of workforce development, as we talk about the impact on the local economy, on the local community, on driving socioeconomic development, it brings us kind of to, to our focus of today's conversation, which is around really democratizing workforce development across the college itself. Now, you know, if you look at most higher ed institutions, there's kind of two distinct approaches to 
non-degree programming or workforce development programming. One is to have it sort of distributed across the college. And, you know, at many institutions that leads to some level of off the side of the desk-ism or to have sort of a siloed standalone department or division focused exclusively on workforce development. Now, at your institution, the workforce development programming has really been integrated deeply into the college itself. Now, what are the advantages of that model? Well, we take the position that every program is a career development program. I don't care what your academic program is, all of your educational experience is aimed at helping you uh, become a better person, a, a critical thinker, that sort of person that is going to be evolved. And with one of your ultimate goals is being employable. And, you know, whether you're going to be an entrepreneur, whether you're going to work for someone else, you know, you don't come to college with the expectation that at some point you're not going to be able to get employment. And so I think that by allowing us to help our students see that every experience they have in the college is preparing them for a viable career where they can make a meaningful contribution, uh, that is part of why we wanted it to be integrated throughout the experience of the students so that they would be able to see how this academic program will increase or enhance their ability to be successful and, and competitive in a, an environment, quite frankly, that is becoming increasingly competitive. Yes, sir. So, I mean, what were the obstacles that you and your team really faced when it came to creating that transformation ac across the college to integrate workforce development across the college and to make sure that every offering was somehow workforce oriented? I think part of it is making sure that even our faculty and staff have the professional development and support because it is a shift in the way in which we have often conceptualized those non-degree programs versus the degree-seeking programs. And to help all of us think deeply about how we tie this with students at the center. And so as we thought about what this would look like at our campus, we thought about, you know, what are the experiences that the student would actually go through? You know, how do we redesign the experience so that along the way the student gains momentum and confidence and a clarity about the direction in which they want to go? And I think that getting folks to understand how important that was, was one of the critical steps. If you don't make the case that, in fact, the experience and the students at the center is what it's all about, then you will allow sort of the traditional turfs to arise and, and, and the kinds of conversations that are, are really about how resources are allocated. And that's it. That's the only conversation. You know, it's so interesting when you think about that, that gap sometimes, the cultural gap that happens in, in many higher ed institutions where, I mean, effectively what you're suggesting when you separate workforce development or continuing ed or professional development from the academic core is that the academic core isn't work focused and then that the continuing ed program, the non-degree programming is of poor quality, is not of it doesn't include academic rigor. How did you overcome that cultural gap to make sure that, that folks in the workforce development space understood, well, when we adopt workforce development programming across the college, we'll still be able to be fast moving and responsive. And how did you help your academic colleagues understand that 
no, this workforce development programming is rigorous and, and your role is supporting uh, workforce outcomes. Well, it is the practice of inclusion, you know, getting the faculty to participate in the determination of how micro-credentials are going to be accepted and acknowledged and embedded and part of the experience. I think that you also, for me, don't have separate faculties. Some people have a separate faculty here and a separate faculty there. No, we're all the faculty. And so as we develop these kinds of approaches, we have to think about it from that perspective. Uh, in addition, you have to also recognize, and what I have shared with my folks, is that higher education is in a reset. The whole economic landscape is in a reset. So we can try to be what we were and be the blockbuster of the educational space, or we can recognize that there's new technologies, new approaches, new expectations. You know, now that people have been in a virtual environment for an extended period of time and may, and may not be as fearful of their ability to navigate that environment, guess what? If we're not responsive, if you still think that Blockbuster is the way to go, uh, when Netflix is trying to partner with you, uh, you'll find yourself sort of being one store instead of 9,000. So we got to understand, and I have worked with my faculty and staff to recognize the fact that, you know, there's a lot of disruption and we can be a part of the innovative aspect of that disruption. Or we can sit on the sidelines and let things happen to us instead of through us. You know what's interesting? I know on your LinkedIn, and I, I think this is uh, Rockland's tagline, real world ready. Yes. And what you're suggesting is basically, how do we make the college real world ready? Yes. As you look at your own career through higher education, as you look at some of the fundamental philosophies that shape our space, what would be the first misunderstanding about the higher ed space from within that you think we need to tackle industry-wide so that higher education itself becomes real world ready? We've got to dismantle this concept of either or. It's either an academic program or it's not. It's either, you know, these artificial labels that we have established to create a caste system is really choking creativity and actually will continue to keep us at a competitive disadvantage. And so we've got to change our language from an either or language to an and language. And when we talk about and, then we've got to also think about how we engage our partners in different ways. When you look at on the front end as a community college, how do we engage K to 12 so that we're helping them uh, help their students do career exploration on the front end and get some academic credits for that career exploration so that they can actually come in better prepared to pursue purpose when they come to the community college? How are we working with the four-year partners to think about the equity transfer 
opportunities that exist. Many of our four-year partners, if they are going to be honest about some of the equity gaps that exist in those institutions, can find a good, valuable partner in the community college where we have more diverse student populations, generally speaking, who have had now the time with us to develop the confidence, the skill sets, the ability to navigate an educational experience so that let us now have equitable transfer as part of a philosophy that says, if we want to really address structural racism in our country, we've got to really take concrete steps and not just statements. And so if you look on the front end at those students who get into dual enrollment, you don't see as many black and brown students as you need to see. If you look at those mm -hmm. students who are in the four institutions that are not having the levels of success that they could or should, you don't see as many black and brown students on the successful side. Here are two specific junctures in the possible ex experience of black and brown students as an example where we can be doubling down on efforts to very specifically target structural racism by reversing some of the established practices and principles and to be very intentional about applying resources at these two critical junctures to continue to improve our record in this country, in this area. Those are very concrete, specific examples of things that institutions can specifically do with community colleges to make our communities more vibrant. And so from my perspective, you know, a lot of times we have conversations that are 30 or 40,000 feet conversations. I'm giving you very practical conversations, very, very practical things. There are best practices in equitable transfer. There are best practices uh, emanating that deal with sort of comprehensive reform on the dual, uh, dual enrollment on the front end. And so we've got to lean in on this. And we've got to work with our business and industry partners in a different way, a different kind of engagement. During the time of, you know, when we saw the racial uprising after George Floyd's death, you know, we saw a lot of companies say, you know, we are committed to being sort of anti-bigotry and we stand against sort of all of the negative things that have happened in our country and we really want to promote uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. Well, now it's time to move from wonderful commercials that strike at the heart and actually say, well, let us determine how we can, with business and industry, specifically address this concept of the underrepresentation uh, of people of color in the dual credit you know, the underrepresentation of people of color in those sort of opportunities to transfer from the community college to the four-year. Let's put our money where our mouths are and to really say, here's how we create a system that actually improves the lot of all. A hundred percent. And there's so much to that too. I mean, when we talk about DEI in higher ed, when we talk about true accessibility, it really is about how do we make an education system that works for every single person who needs access to it? How do we look to modularize academic programming to create pathways for folks who aren't necessarily served by a full degree, a full scale degree, but create the, the mechanisms that will allow them to stop in and out uh, through a progressive education process that, that operates just in time? How can we create short-term Pell funding, for example, so that mm -hmm. the, the financial barriers to non-degree programming are stripped away for students who that doesn't necessarily serve? I mean, there, there are so many pieces to the puzzle. I love that your focus here, though, is really on 
look, like we can't wait for the federal or state governments to necessarily figure it out. So here are some things we can do at the institutional level to overcome some of that. And it's very important for us to recognize that oftentimes we have conversations and I'm not, I think it's very important to invest in K to 12 space, but also we have adult learners. We have millions of Americans out here today with some college and no degree. And I think it was Strata who said there was 20.5 million Americans who have uh, some college, no degree, but a desire to get engaged in college over the next two years, not necessarily wanting a four-year uh, degree because they don't have the, that time, but wanting some sort of an educational credential that could give them an advantage in a world that's shifting. And I think that we've got to be open, we've got to be agile, we've got to be nimble, we've got to be forward-leaning. We can't simply say, you know, the world is now returning to a pre-COVID environment. And so, uh, you know, the former rules of engagement apply. And because I can tell you there's certain th several things that are not going to return. You have lots of companies that are not going to be renewing leases downtown in the city because, in fact, their workers are going to work from home. Their workers are going to absorb the cost of doing work from home. The telephone, the light, all of the expenses that were employer-based expenses are going to shift to the employee. You're not going to see increase in those salaries to cover this shift. But the shift will happen, you know, and what will happen is basically there'll be a reassessment of what we need and what we don't need. And we've got to be able to be thinking about how that will ultimately change the local job opportunity and seeking process. Many times people stay in the community to work because they feel like, well, I'm place-based. As we go more virtual, you will be able to live in New York and, and work in, in California, Oregon, Montana, virtually. And so we've got to be able to prepare our students uh, for a changing landscape that's going to happen. Look at this vehicle that we're on. Who would have thought that there were video productions for Zoom people now? Mm -hmm. There are actual industries that are growing up right around us because of the pandemic that has now created economic opportunities or necessities. So we just have to begin to think about how we prepare our students for the changes that are happening all around them and that they're experiencing so that they can be able to be part of all of the change and ultimately be leaders in that change. Absolutely, and just to back up the numbers that you were just saying, uh, according to the Stronger Nation from Lumina, 27 million Americans have some college, no credential. And the Strata Foundation did find 68% of adults looking for post-secondary education options wanted uh, non-degree or alternative credentials. So, I mean, we're really talking about a, a fundamentally changing marketplace. And to your point, Mike, when you talk about the shifting post-secondary landscape, the shifting role and responsibility of modern learners, the way we've really started to think about it is not going back to normal. It's not even necessarily a new normal because if we're honest about it, we've never really had a, a normal. Really what we're talking about now is what's our post-COVID next normal? What's gonna be the, the foundations of, of the post-secondary space as we go into the next five, 10 to 15 years? And I'm gonna wrap up by bringing out basically what you've been talking about 
for, for our discussion here, which is that how does the community college forge stronger relationships with every single piece of the local network? How are there stronger connectivity points with, with uh, K to 12? How are there stronger connectivity points with the four-year institutions as far as transfer? How do you create stronger connectivity points with employers and with industry? And how do you ensure that any learner at any stage of their life cycle has a place at the community college? Now, what we're talking about is a lifelong learning hub, right? What we're talking about is a higher education institution that doesn't exist for a two-year block of someone's life at the start of their career. We're really talking about morphing the college into this sort of entry point and exit point that people can consistently come back to, to upskill, to reskill, to learn, to engage, to grow. How does the college get from where it is today to that? Well, the college has to first process map where it is. <laughs> because as, as, as we've been talking, you know, this is the big picture. We know that it is the relationships with K to 12, it's the relationships with community-based organizations, it's relationships between community colleges and four-year institutions, it's the relationships between employers and business and industry. We know all of the critical stakeholders you know, in the whole need to sort of redesign what the ecosystem looks like. But what we have to be able to do institution by institution is to look at yourself. Now is the time for self-reflection so that you can be able to understand what are the basic assumptions? You know, what are the basic requirements? How do you go from good to great? How do you move into the spaces where you can be the catalyst for economic uh, advantage, mobility, revitalization of communities? You know, that is really the role, as I see it, of, of the community college. We are talent developers. We are economic development partners. We are a catalyst for regional revitalization. Those are all the things that we are now. And we are not just simply chalk and talk folks. We're not just simply the folks that you come in and, you know, and, and to and through folks. We are those catalysts, catalyzing factors. Our job is to create conditions, but every institution has to look at to what extent there are areas that you have to create those conditions to do this work. What areas, how does this align with your mission? It may align with your mission in a very broad way, but does it show up in the way in which you're planning your strategy as you move forward? You know, many of the strategic plans that were put out, five-year plan, three-year plan, probably could throw them all away because we now have to reset quite frankly, what the strategic directions of institutions are because everything around us is resetting. So I think step one is to determine and do your own self-assessment as an institution. You know, the mission that you have and have always had, is it flexible enough to really think about the new strategic directions that have to be put in place? Do you have the capacity to be what you desire to be? Can you really live your aspirations? In my institution, we've worked very hard to begin to sort of move us in this place of our aspiration. But it took perspiration. 
<laughs> and a little bit of inspiration. I've tried to be a little bit of inspiration, sprinkle some inspiration there. But, but it is recognizing that if we truly are going to be the talent developers of our region, and if we are going to participate in the economic development and viability of our region, then we've got to make sure that we understand our institutional gaps and what it will take to get us to the place of our aspirations. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.